We now begin Maseches Rosh Hashanah. This is the first Mishnah, first Perik 1-1. And the Mishnah will discuss the various accounting New Years, if you will, um, regarding different halachic phenomena. The same way our year may begin on January the 1st, but some firms use a June 30th as a cutoff at the end of their fiscal year. And we have a school year that begins, you know, let's say it's September 1st, whatever the story is. So there are other years that begin at certain cutoff dates. And these cutoff dates are important for what I'll call accounting purposes. So the Mishnah says, Arba Roshe Shanamhem. There are a total of four different dates in the calendar which serve as cutoffs um, to mark the beginning of a new year for various accounting purposes. The first is Be'echad ben Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan. We're starting with Nisan because that's the first month of the year. And the first day of the first month, the first of Nisan, is Rosh Hashanah l'malachim v'leregalim, is the first day of a new year for two accounting purposes. The first is for kings. And when we say kings, what we mean is in a, a star, uh, some kind of halachic contract or a get. So in the time that we had Jewish kings, we would use the date based on the year of the reign of the given Jewish king. We would say, you know, in the such a year of, of the such and such king's reign. Now, for accounting purposes, it would be nowadays probably easy to figure out the anniversary of the inauguration. Um, and in America today, you maybe you have like election day and you have the president comes in at a, you know in January every four years. It's sort of easy to keep track. But that wasn't the case in antiquity. And therefore, they used a, um, a convention of the first day of Nisan being the cutoff marking the second year of the king's reign. So, for example, if a king um, became inaugurated as king on the in the month of Adar, the month preceding Nisan, so come uh, the first of Nisan a few days later, that would mark the first day of the second year of his rule. And that would be the way that it would be expressed in an account of or in various Staros contracts. Second of all, the Regalim, and also for Regalim. Um, Regalim literally means the pilgrimage festivals. What this is referring to, however, I'm assuming else. This is referring to the Lav in the Torah, the prohibition called Baal Ta'acher, that one may not delay and push off his delivery of a Neder or an Adava, some sort of voluntary gift that he pledged to bring to the base of Mikdash. So a person, let's say, says, I commit to bring a sheep as a shlamim offering. It's a voluntary shlamim. That would be, of course, that's that's called a neder. So now um, the Torah says you may not delay in delivering um, your pledge. So when does one cross the line and violate this prohibition? So according to our Tana, it's going to be after three Regalim, pilgrimage festivals, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, pass in order, meaning that the you have to pass through a Pesach and then a Shavuot and then a Sukkot, specifically in that order, um, to be over Baltacher, and then comes the end of Sukkot, you've crossed the line. So what that means is, let's say, for example, we're talking about the person who made the commitment to bring this the Shlomim, let's say he does it during the Sfiris Omer period. In such a case, so what will happen is the first regal that will pass will be Shavuos, and then the second will be Sukkot, but that doesn't matter yet because we're saying, according to our mission here, the year begins, if you will, with the first of Nisan, meaning Pesach, and therefore we have to sort of have the Thirugalim in order. So you won't be crossing the line and violating Balta'acher until another Pesach passes and then another Shavuos and another Sukkot. Um, so the point is that it's 
three starting from Rosh Chodesh Nisan in that order. And that's because of the Pasuk which says, Bechaga Matzos, Bechaga Shvus, Bechaga Sukkos. There's a specific order for the holidays, Pesach, Shvus, Sukkos. And therefore that's, that's going to be the, the line in the sand, um, the first of Nisan, and you have to pass three after that in order to be over Baal to Acher. Um, two important points. The first is, an FYI, that there's actually mitzvah assay to bring the pledged carbon as soon as possible, meaning if even the first of the regalim pass, and you don't deliver it on that first regal, you've already violated the mitzvah assay. That's based on the Pasuk that says, Uva'asa Shama, you'll come there to the place Hashem will choose. Let's call it Jerusalem. Ve'vesem Shama Oloseichem V'zivcheichem. You'll have to, you'll bring your Olos and your other sacrifices, and if you fail to bring your voluntary sacrifice, you've already, you know, been mevatel v'aseh, you haven't done the, the commandment properly. But the bal, the bal ta'achah, the law, doesn't happen until, um, according to Aratana here, you pass the third regal in that order. Uh, the Bartanura learns, like the Rambam, that the Allah is not like this Tana, this is Rabbi Shimon, but the Allah actually follows the Tanaim who hold that it's any three in a row, any three regalim, so meaning the case I gave you before, if a person in the middle of Sirius Omer period commits to bring a, a, a ned there, so then he'll only have Shvuas, Sukkot, and then Pesach, and when Pesach, that first Pesach, um, end of that Pesach, if he didn't bring it yet, he'll be over Baal Ta'achir. That's the Allah according to the Rambam. There are other Rishonim, like the Ritva and Rajba, who disagree, but I assume the Allah is like the Rambam. Okay, meaning the, the Ritva and the Rajba learn like our Mishnah, that indeed it has to be three in order, um, starting with Second of all, be'echad be'elul, on the first day of the month of Elul, that's Rosh Hashanah Lamaser Behema, for the tithing of livestock. Um, the cutoff is the first of Elul. The idea here is that um, one has to give a tenth, or I should say, if a person has, let's say he has cows, goats, or sheep, so if he has Ten cows, he's supposed to put them in a corral, and then they should come out of the corral one at a time. The tenth one out of the corral, daubed with red paint, and that becomes a carbon called Maser Behema. If a person only had nine cows in a given year, so then he will not send any of his cows to be carbonos. None will be Maser Behema. If a person had 19 cows, he only has one cow. That'll be Maser Behema. That'll be the tenth one that comes out when he puts all 19 into the corral. If he has 20 cows, he'll bring two as Maser Behema. Okay, so... um there's a rule, and the rule is that you can't tithe last year's cows on this year's cows, or vice versa. That rule is basically learned out from a very similar rule that applies to agricultural produce, which must be tithed. Now, the Pasuk in Devarim Perak Yudalit, Pasuk Chav Beis, 1422, says, You'll certainly tithe all of your grain, that comes from your fields, shana, shana, year by year. And shana, shana, year by year tells you that you only can tithe this year's grain on this year's grain. You can't, you know, combine this year and last year's grain and then tithe some from this year and last year and vice versa. Therefore, that means you have to have some cutoff date, which says, defines which year a given, you know, given grain belongs to. And we learn similarly, that's going to apply to animals as well. So the cutoff will be, according to Tana here, the first day of the month of Elul. And the reason why Elul is chosen is because by the time Elul rolls around, Elul is the end of the summer. And by then, all the animals have really, all livestock have normally been, have given birth. Hashem arranged it that animals are born, livestock are typically born 
in the spring and summer so they can have a chance to grow in, in warm weather and when there's food around before the winter comes. And therefore, by Rosh Chodesh El, all the animals are normally born. Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Shimon, Omrim Be'echad Betishrei, they actually disagree and they say, no, the first of El is not um, the cutoff date for the measuring which year an animal belongs to. Um, rather, it's the first day of Tishrei, the same as other grain, etc. And the reason why is because they also understand that we're connecting the obligations of Miser Behema, tithing the animals year by year, to the Miser of the Tua, of the grain. And just as when it comes to grain, the cutoff is the first day of Tishrei, so too, when it comes to animals, the, first, the cutoff should be the first day of Tishrei. That's their Shita. The Tanakama, the previous Shita, held that just as when you finish processing your grain and you're going to give your tithes, that'll be um, at the end of the summer, meaning at the end of Elul, because Tishrei already starts to rain. You have the holidays and then rain, so you finish by then. So, so too, when the animals are finished having their babies, which will be already done by the first of Elul, you can give your Meister Behema. Okay. The Mishra goes on to say, Be'echad Betishrei, the first day of Tishrei, what we call Rosh Hashanah conventionally, um, so that actually is the Rosh Hashanah Lishanim, Vilishmitin, Vilayovlos, Vilinatia, Vilirakos, for five different phenomena. Um, the first is Shanim years. This is a reference very similar to the talking about the Malachim we had before, but um, the years as you count them when you want to count the Gentile overlord, let's say the emperor, um, you, we also, for the purposes of promoting peace, would recognize in our contracts back then who the the um, gentle overlord was, so we would say, you know, in such and such a year of the Persian, you know, emperor so-and-so's reign, and that was just essentially to make sure that there's, you know, we, rec- they re- we acknowledge them and make sure we have peaceable relations with them. So that will be done. The, the second year of, in our accounting purposes, the second year of such and such a king's reign would begin at the first of Tishrei. Now, um, that practice is long gone. There was an interim practice called Minyan Sharos where they would count the years based on um, Alexander the Great, Alexander Magdon, the Macedonian as they call it in Hebrew, the Chazal, um, which basically works out to 310 BC, um, the year 3449, the Jewish calendar as we count it today, 380 years prior to the Horban. Um, but um, that's also lapsed. Nowadays, we don't do any of that. There's no point in counting Goyish kings at all because the Goyim themselves don't do that. So why should we try to promote peace if they don't care? We don't care. Um, but we do count instead from like uh, the creation of the world. So we would have it the year like 5781 or whatever the case may be um, to keep track of, of the years. And that's how we do it nowadays. Okay. Next you have Lishmitin. Shemitin is referring to the Shemitah year. Every seven years of the agricultural cycle is a Shemitah year. During that year, it's forbidden to plow and plant, and the produce has a certain Kedusha to it. The rules of Shemitah kick in, and that's going to happen, Midoraisa, um, from the first day of Tishrei. That's when the Shemitah year begins. Vila Yovlos. Yovlos, the Jubilee years. So the way that the Bartonura, the Rambam learner is, after seven cycles of seven years, after that seventh Shemitah year, the fifth, that's 49 years, of course. The 50th year will be the Yovel year. So you'll have Yovel year the day after the, the year after the Shemitah year. And um, the Yovel year basically is another Shemitah year. So you'll have two years of Shemitah where the land lies fallow, the produce has um, sanctity, no trimus of everyone has access to the fruits, etc. 
That's the Yovel year. Yovel, in addition, has two other major features. Um, one is that um, if you had like an indentured servant, a Jewish, an, an Eved Ivri, a Jewish slave, who they're going to go free. Even an Eved Ivri who said, oh, I don't want to go free. I want to live with my master and the household. I like my life over here. Even him, the Nirza, the guy who is like his the ear punctured on the doorpost guy. So even he goes free in the Yovel year regardless of whether he wants to or not. And similarly, um, there's a rule that ancestral lands, I'm not talking about Are Batehoma, if you're familiar, like in walled cities, houses in walled cities, forget that, not my topic right now. But um, ancestral plots of land, they belong to a person, to a sheva, to a tribe, and if one would sell his ancestral plot, comes the Yovel year, it reverts back to its original owners. So that's what's happening in, in the Yovel. The Yovel begins on the first day of Tishrei. Uh, worth noting, actually, is that in practice, the first of Tishrei, actually nothing different is going to happen because the previous day, the last day of Elul, was already Shemitah. So the Shemitah just continues on the next day in the first of Tishrei. Um, and as well, the releasing of the slaves and the return of ancestral plots won't actually happen until the blowing of the Shofar on Yom Kippur, the tenth day of Tishrei, then actually when things will go into effect. But the Shemitah, the Yovel year begins the first of Tishrei. Vilinatia, a natia is a sapling, and this is the Rosh Chodesh for saplings. In Hebrew, there are three words for trees. You have eitz, ilan, and natia. They don't mean the same thing exactly. An eitz is a tree. Period. A natia is an immature tree, like a sapling, and an ilan is a mature tree. So when we say natia here, we mean like baby trees. And we need to keep track of the baby tree's age because the first three years of a fruit tree's life, its fruit is called orla. It's proscribed, it's blocked off, forbidden. And um, we need to keep track of how the tree is. So we don't measure a tree from the year the day it was planted. Rather, we measure it. Um, its second year, if you will, will begin when it crosses over the birthday for all saplings, which is the first day of Tishrei. Um, now, just to be a little more precise here, the accounting works that for a tree to be considered to be in its second year, come the first of Tishrei, it has to have taken have to have taken root and been enrooted in the ground for at least thirty days prior to the first day of Tishrei. And we also pass that it takes fourteen days for a sapling to take root. Um, so that gives you thirty plus fourteen is forty-four. So if you want to plant your tree. In such a way that when we get to Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei, it'll enter its second year. What you'll have to do is plant your tree no later than 45 days before the first of Tishrei, which is going to work out to um, Tuba Av, the 15th day of the month of Av. Now, um, that's how it works. And if, if you planted it by Tuba Av, so then comes the first of Tishrei, your tree is entered into its second year for the count of Orla. Um, now, just... This isn't even as simple as it already didn't sound. Um, more than that, comes the end, comes the second first of Tishrei. So now we're talking, let's say, if you planted on Tubaav, we're talking about 13 and a half months after you planted your tree. Now your tree will enter its third year. It remains, the produce remains Orla. At the end of that year, when the first of Tishrei rolls around, so you're now you planted your tree two years, which is 24 months plus a month and a half, so we're at 25 and a half months ago on Tubaav, you planted this tree. Now it's entering into its would be fourth year. The problem is once it is entering to that fourth year, it's already now become no longer an atia, a sapling. It's now been promoted to being an ilan. 
and the Chage Ilanot, as we'll see in the Mishnah shortly, the Rosh Chodesh for an Ilan, a mature tree, is, we pause in Tubishvat. Tubishvat's a few months later. So what will happen is, even though it's passed now into its what you would have thought was his fourth year, comes the first of Tishrei. No, since this no longer is a Natiya, but now an Elon, it's still, its produce is still Orla until it passes through the month of Tishrei, the month of Cheshvan, the month of Kislev, the month of Teves, and half of the month of Shvat. So four and a half months. So we said the minimum would be 25 and a half months till it gets to that beginning of its fourth year, would be fourth year with Rosh the first day of Tishrei, that's 25 and a half months, but then you have four and a half more months until you get to the 15th of Shvat. So that means that your your tree will stop being an orla tree or having orla produce um, at a minimum of 30 months after you plant it, okay? And it could be much more than 30 months, even up to 42 months if you planted it, uh, I guess, whatever, 40 months, roughly, if you planted it earlier in the year, okay? So earlier in the year instead of Tubav. Anyways, that's what we're talking about here. And by the way, and then once the, yeah, that's for, for Natiya. And Yurakos, Yurakos are vegetables. So the rule is that a, a vegetable also has to be subject to various tithes. Um, it's subject to Shemitah. To determine the vintage of a given vegetable, it's determined by when you pick the vegetable. So if you pick a cucumber, um, the year to which it belongs is the year when you picked it. Um, and now, if you, since you can't tithe this year's produce and last year's produce, and similarly, you might need to give in the years 1, 2, 4, and 5 of the cycle, you give Meister Shani. In years 3 and 6, you give Meister Ani. You have to determine which year this cucumber belongs to. And that will be based on when you picked it. And uh, if you picked it before Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei, then it's the previous year. So you picked it after the first of Tishrei, it's this year's. Okay, that's that. Now, Be'echad B'Shvat, on the first of Shvat, Rosh Hashanah Le'ilan, that's the, by the way, you notice we didn't mention anything about Rosh Hashanah being a day of judgment. That's not the point of our Mishnah. Our Mishnah is discussing accounting. Next Mishnah we'll talk about judgment. So, um, the fourth and final of the Rosh Hashanah is Be'echad B'Shvat, on the first day of the month of Shvat, that's Rosh Hashanah Le'ilan, that's the Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the new year for Ilanotes, um, mature trees, Kadivri Beishamai, that was Beishamai Shita, but Beis Hillel say no, Beis Hillel Omrim, Bacha Misha Sarbo, not till the 15th of Shvat, Tuba Shvat, do the trees have their new year. Uh, of course, you pass like Beis Hillel. The Machlok is here, Beis Shamai say that once you get to the first of Shvat, already most of the rain for the year has fallen, and therefore the saps beginning to grow. This is sort of like the beginning of the new year, and soon we'll see the trees begin to blossom. You know, Shkiriya Parachat, the almond tree blossoms, blossoms first, typically, and so on. Um, so Beishamai says that's we're like on the second half of the rainy season, and therefore that'll be the cutoff. Um, Beis Hillel say, no, we want to be the second half of the winter season, just like we're accustomed to. Winter's three months long, um, and far in the secular accounting, 21st of December approximately begin, marks the beginning of winter. 21st of March, approximately March, the end of winter and the beginning of spring. Um, so too, the winter is called the Tukufas Teves, the, the Teves, the beginning of Teves marks the beginning of winter. So those three months, Tevet, Shvat, and Adar, those are the three winter months. And Basil will say, so the middle of the middle month, the middle of Shvat is the 15th of Shvat. So that will be, once you get to 15th of Shvat, you've passed the first half of the winter and the second half of winter, and now... Again, the sap's beginning to flow in the trees. Things are, you know, we're moving towards a new year. 
and at Tubishvat already will begin um, the new year for the Ilanot, and that of course is the Halacha. So the Machlokas um, describing here is Beishama say the second half of the rainy season, versus Basil says the second half, you reach the second half of the winter season.